The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Welcome. We're glad that you're here this morning. You know what? Coastal, over the years, we've had a uh, theme verse, if you will. And uh, in fact, before our church ever began, um, this verse was kind of the, the verse that God laid on my heart and uh, kind of set the tone for our church. And it's, it comes from John 10.10. 10. And in fact, we have a little saying that you'll find on the bottom of a lot of our newsletters and you know, mailings and whatnot, because there's more to life. And that comes from John 10.10, 10, where Jesus said, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come, my purpose is to give life in all of its fullness. And some translations say, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We believe that. We believe that God wants you to have life abundantly, wants you to have a full life, and uh, we believe there's more to life than what you and I can see, uh, that God has a great plan for, for your life, and uh, he has a purpose for your life. In fact, Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We believe that. That's basically the, you know, the basis for our ministry here at Coastal, that God wants us, our mission is to share that life, the life of Jesus. We believe that true life is only found in Christ. Uh, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. So we believe that, that our goal and our mission as a church is to share that life of Christ with the world around us and then to experience it, to experience that full and abundant life. Now, here's the truth, though. A whole lot of people today, and maybe some of you, really don't believe that. Now, you might be able to say it out loud, hear me say it, but personally and practically, in your own heart, you don't think it applies to you. Now here's why. You think you've blown it too bad. You think your past is just too messed up. Uh, you have done things and experience things that in your mind disqualify you from ever finding your way back to God or especially ever being used by him in any significant way whatsoever. And there are, there are an awful lot of people today, and again, maybe many of you who just feel like, well, you know, not, not for me, Pastor Chris. You know, that whole thing about life and purpose and plans you know, that all sounds great, but, and maybe for somebody else it is, but not for me. You see, you don't know my failures. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. And I would say, you're right, I don't. But God does. And God says, you're worth it. God says, he's not done with you. You see, the Bible at its core is actually a story of redemption. And it is. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him and his great sacrifice on your behalf. It's all about God going to these extraordinary links, doing whatever it takes to reach out to people, to reach out to you, to draw you back to himself. And then we, the church, 
We are here to help carry out that plan. That's our mission. And the Bible is just full of example after example of men and women who did absolutely blow it. I mean, completely messed up people. And, and because of their mistakes, because of their moral failures, they actually thought that God would never want them and that God could never use them and that they could never come home. They thought their time was past. But then over and over and over again, if they would just take that one step and reach back out to God and trust him, man, they were forgiven, they were restored, and they ended up doing amazing, amazing things. Now, there are a couple of categories, I believe, of people who think that they can't come home. And that's what this series is all about. We've been talking about finding your way back to God. Well, I think there's a few people in this world today, again, maybe some of you who think that you can't come home and you can't ever be used by God. Now, the first category of people is made up of those who, think, who feel that way because of their own circumstances. In other words, the reason God can't use them is that he doesn't use people with their family background. He doesn't use people with uh, their family secret or from their side of the tracks or their lack of education or their you know, socioeconomic uh, you know, background. Basically, they think they were dealt a bad, hand, a, a bad uh, hand, and because of that, you know, the cards are stacked against them. And they could never really amount to much, and God definitely would never use them in any great way. And some of those people actually believe they really wouldn't be welcome in a church. And again, I don't know the hand that you were dealt. I don't even know necessarily all the pain that has been put on you by other people. But I do know this, I know God loves you and he has a plan for your life. And I know he wants to use you in an extraordinary way and I also know this for sure, you're welcome here at this church. And there is a place of significance and service for you here at Coastal because nobody here, nobody is any better or any worse than anyone else. Uh, We are all simply, you ready for this? Forgiven sinners. Made perfect, though, by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, we are simply becoming more and more, day by day, we are becoming more and more like God already sees us. And so what other people might have even meant for evil in your life, to hurt you or to harm you, our God can still turn all of that into good. So much so that he wants to use your story and your background and even the pain that's been put on you in your life as a testimony to reach out to others. In fact, in Romans 8.28 it says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now that doesn't say that everything in life is good. It's not. There's a lot of bad in this world and maybe a lot of bad that has happened to you, but if we let him, God has this miraculous ability to bring something good out of it. In other words, your stories have finished yet. If you're not dead, God's not done, right? Everybody, 
Everybody do this. You're alive? You're breathing? Okay, check your neighbor. Are they alive? They're breathing? If you're not dead, God's not done. And so the rest of your life, no matter where you're at in life, can still be the best of your life. However, there's another category of people who feel like God could never use them and they could never amount to much or never be welcome truly in a church or even find their way back to God. And I think this is probably the largest group of people and this might include many of you today. It's not the circumstances beyond their control. It's not the cards they were dealt. You ready for this? It's the mistakes that they've made. And you might be here today thinking, you see, Pastor Chris, it's me. You know, I made the decision. Um, I'm the one. You know, it it wasn't things done to me. I walked away from God. In fact, I, I can't blame it on anybody else. I'm damaged goods. I'm beyond the reach of God because of what I did. And the truth is, some of you, the only reason you come to church today is because deep down inside you hope, by all hope, that maybe you can earn a few brownie points and appease an angry God. But there is no way that God would ever use you or, you know, to accomplish anything great. Maybe there is something more to life, but you made your bed, now you have to lie in it. And you believe that. Well, I'm glad you're here today. Because this is where it gets good. I mean, I absolutely love, love, love talking to people about this stuff. Because the Bible, in my estimation, is full of real people, just like you and just like me. And what I mean by that is total whack jobs, okay? Moral failures, screw-ups, people who messed up so bad, they actually thought that life was all over. People like Moses, right? Now, you know Moses, of course, as the man who set his people free and one of the great leaders of all time, led the children of Israel into the promised land. But before that happened, Moses was a stutterer. Didn't think he could be used by God to speak, you know, before the greatest leader on the planet. And he was a murderer. But God wasn't done with him. Or, what about people like Rahab? She was a prostitute in a pagan land. Now, if you're wondering, yes, prostitute in Bible times means the same thing that it means today. Okay, she sold her body to anybody who'd pay for it. And yet, God used her to orchestrate one of the great redemption stories of all time, and used her to hide, remember the two spies from Israel uh, as, right before God's people overtook the city of Jericho? But then that's not it either. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, you know, the list of genealogies where you probably skip over that part because you don't want to read all the names. Guess what? Her name is listed there in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. A former prostitute. Then there's David. We all know David as the, you know, the great boy king. And, you know, David versus Goliath. And he beats the warrior and leads the nation of Israel. But he also was a murderer and an adulterer. 
In fact, he was even overlooked by his own family. He was like the, the runt of the family and just overlooked by his dad and his brothers. But God didn't overlook him. And then last week, remember last week in the New Testament, there's Saul who becomes Paul. He was a legalistic Pharisee, prided himself in keeping the law, and yet he persecuted believers. He helped to round them up and kill them. But then he met Jesus, and God set him free from religion and self-righteousness, and he used him to become one of the great servant leaders of the church. And he ends up writing, you ready for this, half of the New Testament. I mean, I could just keep going and going and going, but one of my favorite examples has to be a guy by the name of Peter. In fact, I really believe that when most people are asked, if, hey, if, there, if there's a disciple of Jesus, you know, especially one of the original 12 that you can most relate to, most people tend to answer Peter. Why? Well, Peter was so human. You know, one minute he's up, you know, he's, uh, you know, defending Jesus against the soldiers. He's walking on water. And then the next minute, he's down. You know, he's sticking his foot in his mouth and he's sinking or he's abandoning Jesus. And so he's so human. And so I think most of us tend to relate to somebody like that. But if there's one decision that Peter makes one failure that Peter makes all on his own. In other words, it's not a hand that he was dealt. It's not circumstances beyond his control. It's a decision he made. And this mistake, of all mistakes, seems like it's just too big. I mean, there's no way he could ever come back from this failure. And I think some of you today can relate to that. And if not you personally, my guess is you know people that feel that way. Like Peter, maybe at some point you sincerely followed Jesus. Now, you weren't perfect. Nobody is. You know that. You had your ups and downs. But you weren't self-righteous or super religious like Paul, like we talked about last week. But you sincerely had a relationship with Jesus and you followed him. You might have even been involved in a church or a church family and you even served in the church. But then something happened. You made a mistake. You committed a sin. You did something that you're embarrassed about. You did something that you never thought you would do. You would do. Or maybe it wasn't one thing. Maybe it was more of like a series of events and bad decisions and mistakes. Maybe it was back in high school. Maybe it was in college. But whenever it was or whatever it was, you walked away. And you walked away from the church and you walked away from God. And you never looked back. And then it just became easy, right? You know, easy to stay away or at least easier. After all, you know, God could never overlook what you did. And definitely nobody else could. I think that's exactly how Peter must have felt. This, this one mistake that he made. 
that he had gone too far. Now, we know from history that Peter was a fisherman by trade. And he was called to follow Jesus. And he did for three years. That's exactly what he did. Uh, Peter was, in fact, kind of a personal project of Jesus and became one of Jesus' closest friends. In fact, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a lot of times you'll see uh, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. They're always with Jesus. Uh, They went with him almost everywhere. Well, one of the things that Peter's probably best known for, of course, is walking on the water, right? Uh, The disciples are attempting to cross the Sea of Galilee on a night when the wind and the waves are just out of control. And the Bible says it's about three or four in the morning when Jesus saw them struggling. And Matthew records that Jesus comes to them walking on the water. And then in Matthew 14, it says this, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. So Peter's ecstatic, you know, he's yelling out against the, uh, over the howling wind. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. Now, of course, Peter, we know, had heard that Jesus said, hey, if you'll just have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can do anything. And then verse 29 says, then Peter got down out of the boat. And what did he do? He walked on the water and came toward Jesus. And then all of a sudden his faith falters, verse 30. But then when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, obviously we read that story and you probably all heard you know, sermons from that, that passage before. Of course, the great illustration is, you know, you keep your eyes on Jesus and he kept his eyes on Jesus and he started to walk on the water, but he took his eyes off of Jesus and what happened? He began to sink. And so you've heard that, that sermon many times. And so sometimes we're a little critical you know, of Peter for taking his eyes off Jesus and sinking in the water. But I kind of read the story and I go, at least he got out of the boat, you know? I mean, man, that's pretty cool. You know, he actually walked on water. How many of you would have gotten out of the boat and taken a few steps in the water? I mean, this is amazing. Uh, In Matthew 16, Peter gives what we call today uh, the great confession. Hey, can I get you to do me a favor? Give me a, a water bottle right there underneath your seat. I forgot to say this in the first series. Thank you so much. Um, thank you. I, uh, I've gotten uh, allergies. Anybody struggle with allergies lately? Man, they're crazy. And it's gone to my head and my throat. And uh, so I'm, I'm losing my voice. And I'm, I'm, I'm pounding halls and chloroseptic and hot water, whatever. And so anyway, pray for me because I got three services, newcomer's lunch and a funeral all today. And so... If we can get through this, it'll be a miracle. So, it's not walking on the water, but I, I got to drink some water. So anyway, here we go. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, uh, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah and one of the prophets. He said, well, what about you? Who do you say I am? And then here's what we today we call the great confession. Peter answered, You're the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. So again, it's obvious, guys. Peter knows Jesus and he follows Jesus. But then let's fast forward to the final hours of Jesus' life before he's arrested. The tension, you can cut it with a knife, okay? They're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Peter tells, Jesus tells Peter and the disciples in Mark 14, 27, listen to me, every one of you, you will all desert me. You will all abandon me. Now listen to the exchange that follows between Jesus and Peter. Peter said to him, hey, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Peter, Jesus replied, the truth is this very night before the the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. No, 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 Peter insisted. Not even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Now that in and of itself, that doesn't seem so bad, right? That's just Peter being Peter. He's kind of manning up a little bit. He loves Jesus. You know, he's basically saying, hey, I don't know about the rest of these yahoos, you know, but as for me, Jesus, I'm with you to the very end. You can count on that. I'm with you. I've got your back. Later that same night, Jesus is betrayed by Judas, and he is seized by the soldiers. Peter gets a chance to prove his loyalty. He, the Bible says he draws his sword, and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. He's ready to do battle for Jesus. And Jesus tells him to put away the sword. You see, it's one thing to say, you'll die for me, but it's another thing to live for me, Peter. Peter's tied up. Excuse me, Jesus is tied up. And he's arrested. The questioning begins. The beating begins. The flogging begins. The blood begins to flow. Every single one of his disciples who'd been with him for three years, they leave him. They abandon him. But it gets worse. In Matthew 14, it says this, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, hey, you, you too were with Jesus, the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what in the world you are talking about. And then he went out onto the porch. And then a maid saw him. And he began once more to say to the bystanders, or she began once more to say to the bystanders, this is one of them. But again, he was denying it. And after a little while, the bystanders again were saying to Peter, hey, surely you're, you're one of them too because you're a Galilean just like, you know, just like them. And then listen to this, you ready? <clears throat> he began to what? Curse and swear. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately, a cock crowed a second time. And then Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him before a cock crows twice, 
you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. I mean, you talk about being dejected, going too far. He's got to think in his mind, man, I can never recover from this. I personally have abandoned my friend in his greatest time of need. Not only that, I denied that I knew him. Not only that, I even cursed his name. You don't come back from that. You know the story. Jesus is crucified. But three days later, he rose from the dead. And he came back just like he said he would. It was witnessed, that truth, that fact was witnessed by literally hundreds of people and it was recorded in history. He then appears to the disciples, but Peter, he knew what he did. And again, these weren't circumstances beyond his control. He did it. He walked away. He denied Jesus. In fact, he is feeling so dejected. Listen to what he says in John 21. Three words. What does he say? I'm going where? Fishing. Now, listen to me. He's not saying that like maybe some of you, you know, when you get up on Sunday morning or, excuse me, Saturday, hopefully not Sunday morning, maybe. You get up early on Saturday morning after a long or work of uh, week of work, and you're tired, but you're excited. Hey, I'm going fishing. Woo! Okay, that's not what he's saying here. Remember, he used to be a fisherman, and basically now he's saying, "I'm going back to my former life. I'm going back to my life before Jesus, because I'm done. I'm finished. Jesus could not forgive me." He'll never trust me again. It's over. Now, Peter and some of the disciples are out fishing, and Jesus comes to meet them on the shore. Jesus builds a fire, and around the fire, after they had all eaten, he looks at Peter, and he has a conversation with him. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter is upset that Jesus asked him that question three times, and he says, Lord, you know everything you know that I do love you. And then Jesus said, then Peter, feed my sheep. In other words, what he was saying was, Peter, I've got a job for you. And it's a big one. You, Peter, are going to end up being the very first gospel preacher. Peter, I'm gonna use you to start the church. You get to start the revolution. You're going to be a shepherd to my flock. Peter, I'm not done with you. I'm not done. I forgive you. Jesus later returns to heaven. All the disciples are gathered in an upstairs room in Jerusalem, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came and filled them and everybody in the room. And then Peter stands up in front of thousands, thousands of movers and shakers 
in, in Israel and boldly proclaims that Jesus has risen from the dead and he is the Savior and the Lord. He basically, read this for yourself in Acts 1 and Acts chapter 2, but he says something like this. He says, men of Israel, listen to me. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man who lived among us, but he proved to be of God by the miracles and the conspiracy, and you know it. But you all conspired to crucify him. But God raised him from the dead, and you saw him. And now this Jesus that was crucified has been exalted to the right hand of the Father, and he is the Lord. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And one day, he is going to be your judge. And the Bible records that everybody that heard it that day, and again, you've got to picture this. Here is Peter, the one who cowered before a servant girl now stands up in front of thousands and begins to preach Jesus resurrected from the dead, Jesus, Lord and Savior and Messiah. And it says that everybody there was cut to the heart and they began to cry out, Peter, what should we do? What what do we need to do now? And then Peter says, you know what you need to do? You need to repent. And the word repent is just a Bible term and all it means is you need to turn your back on your former way of living your, your, your mindset, and you need to turn toward God. You need to take that one step toward him, and you need to get baptized, every one of you. Again, the man whose courage wilted in front of a servant girl now boldly proclaims the resurrected Lord in front of thousands. And the Bible says that that day, 3,000 people accepted his message, believed in Jesus, repented of their sins, and were baptized. And that started the revolution. And every one of you are here today as a result of what he did that day. Peter continues to preach and teach and heal in the name of Jesus. In fact, a few days later, uh, Peter was uh, near the temple and there was a crippled man lying at the gate asking, begging Peter and John for money. And Peter basically says, would you look at us? We don't have any money, okay? He says, silver or gold I don't have, but I'll give you what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up up and walk. And the Bible says that instantly he was healed and his feet and his ankles became strong and he began to jump around praising God. And then the people came running out from all over wanting to know what in the world happened. And Peter, instead of taking the glory for himself, he said, this man has been made well by the power of the name of Jesus, who now I'm going to preach to you. And so the temple authorities arrest Peter and John, throw them in jail, and the very next day, the Sanhedrin, the very same body who had condemned Jesus to die just a few weeks earlier, they try to uh, intimidate Peter and John by telling them, don't you ever teach or speak or even utter the name of Jesus Christ anymore in this city. And they responded, Peter courageously said, I'm sorry, I obey God, not you. 
In fact, in Acts 4.13, we read this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were just unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men, though, had been with Jesus. You see, God wasn't finished with Peter. Peter abandoned Jesus in his time of greatest need. And not only did he abandon him, but he cursed him. He denied that he ever knew him. But God wasn't finished with him. And my point today is this. God is not finished with you. He's not finished with you. You see, our God is in the resurrection business. He is in the redemption business. He does have a plan for your life. I don't care what you did. I don't care what you've done, and God doesn't either. Our God loves you, and he wants to forgive you. He wants to restore you. He wants to set you free in a mighty, mighty way. And there is a place for you in the church. There's a place for you in this church. It just requires one step. You turn back to God, and then he makes up the difference. He runs to you. He's just waiting on you to trust him. In fact, here's the great news. You ready for this? Whatever God starts, he finishes. Whatever God starts, he finishes. How many of you got projects around the house that need to be finished, right? And sometimes you get, you know, accused of being a great starter, but not a great finisher. Guess what? Our God's a finisher. Whatever he began in you, he will finish it. If you're not dead, if you're still breathing, if there's a pulse, God's not done. In fact, Philippians 1.6 says, and I am sure that God who began the good work within you. See, he started it. He began the good work in you, and he will continue it until it's finally, finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus comes back again. But here's, here's the even better news. It gets so much better than just that because not only is God not finished with you, but if you'll just simply trust him, you ready for this? He will also give you the power and the desire to obey him. Philippians 2.13 says, for it is God that's working in you. Listen to this, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. Don't you see? It really doesn't matter. Your past or your circumstances. The hand that you were dealt or the mistakes that you made. The example of Peter is that God does love you and he does have a plan for your life. That is the message of Jesus and it's the message of this church. And it's the same message that I preached for 26 years and I'm gonna keep preaching it until God calls me home or Jesus comes again. God is not finished with you. You might have even turned your back on Jesus. 
And everybody in this room has at some point. But he never turns his back on you. Never. You can come home today. You can come home today. I pray that you will. Bow your heads and pray with me, in fact. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today, thank you so much for the example of people like Peter. God, I just think we all need to be reminded that no matter how far we, we have gone away, no matter where we've been or what we've done, and there's everybody in this room, myself included, we've all done things we're ashamed of. We've all said and done things we wish we could take back. But you're right there just waiting. And not only are you waiting, but you're ready to not just restore and forgive, but you do have a great plan for all of us. And you can, in fact, use our story, even our pain, for your glory and for the good of other people. So if you're here this morning and you're ready to come home, you can do that today. You know, how... Just like Peter said, repent. You know, turn. Turn back toward God. Turn away from the way that you've been living and turn, take that one step back toward God. Cry out to him right now and say, God, I do believe. Just like Peter confessed, I believe that you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. I believe you went to a cross and you died for my sin. I believe that you rose from the dead and you are alive. And for the rest of my days, God, I want to follow you. I want to become more and more like you see me now as I put all my trust in you and you alone and what you did on the cross and through the empty tomb. I believe. And Father, I pray as a church that we will continually share that message of grace and hope and redemption with the world around us. We love you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.